Tonight's interview wraps up a fantastic first year for the In Conversation series. And for that, we thank our partners here at the National Arts Centre and at CPAC and our sponsors at the Canadian Bankers Association. Uh, we began in February with Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP. We've had Andrew Shear, Katie Telford, Jason Kenney, Rachel Notley, uh, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, and this guy who remembers when he was born. Um, it is a great pleasure to have as my guest the gentleman who greatly extended Canada's network of national parks, Canada's much, first French-Canadian finance minister, uh, and a man who uh, led this country's fortunes uh, for a decade. Please give a warm welcome to Jean Chrétien. What on earth do we have to talk about? Um, I should mention, because I was an author once myself, that this man has a book out. It's called uh, My Stories, My Times. Uh, it's published by my friends at Random House, uh, who published one of my books. And, uh, and it's Christmas, so you know what to do. Uh, how have you enjoyed uh, your book tour, sir? But it's uh, fun uh, to moving around. I have occasion to meet people like that and uh, to sign books. And, uh, you know, it's been, it was launched on the 25th of October. It was 25 years had I been elected prime minister. And uh, so it was a good occasion. We had a party here with the people who were around me at that time. And... Uh, and since that time, I'm giving interviews here on the French network and so on. And it's fun, you know, for me. I'm not in charge of anything anymore, but my own life. And uh, so I'm very relaxed. It's a very different kind of book. It's basically just stories from the road. Uh, what can you say about the book in general? But as I wrote in the book, one at night with my family, my grandchildren and so on, and my kids... After a nice dinner, I become sometimes a bit talkative. <laughs> and that, uh, so I tell all sorts of stories because I've been around for a long time. And my grandsons, one of them said one day, he said, Grandpapa, these stories will be lost. Why don't you write them down? But I said, I'm not a writer. And I, but he said, you already had two books. Why not try a third one? Oh, no. But I said, no. But, oh, I will think about it. And I went home, and I suddenly I wrote the first story that is about an ambassador, a story that is not well known in Canada, that was kidnapped in Peru, and it was for months uh, uh, with the uh, terrorists and so on, and it is a very telling story. So I wrote it down. And after that, I, was, I wrote couple of them and it was I wanted to have about six to eight hundred words per stories uh, but uh, eventually I got used to it and the more I moved the longer it was and I wrote uh, last year well, 49 plus the introduction and the closing and uh, you know I wrote at the beginning of the book I said uh, you know when I was tired of the nonsense of Donald Trump 
I, uh, I would go to my table and gain back my serenity. And uh, you'd take my pen and I wrote that book that way. And uh, enjoy it. The, after a while, I had it said, uh, you know, I'd like the people to read this book, to read 40 pages, put it on the night table, close the light, and fall asleep smiling. <laughs> so there is a lot of uh, very colorful or funny anecdote there, but all based on my political life. And, uh, and I hope that the people will buy it, uh, you know, will enjoy it. But for me, I had a lot of fun doing it. Now, since you've left office, I run into you every once in a while here in town. And I remember that a few years ago, uh, I was having lunch at a sushi restaurant here on Queen Street. Uh, and, uh, and you were there and you came over for lunch. And I was with people from this National Arts Center. And you told a story about the arts and about Bill Clinton and Ernesto Zedillo that I, uh, I actually sometimes steal that story when I'm giving a speech myself, but I, th I thought I would ask you if you would tell it yourself. But you know Stéphane Dion. I know him well. And Stéphane was a kind of serious guy. <laughs> and he had organized an international meeting on federalism. And he wanted to promote federalism and so on, and he was minister responsible for that. I was in agreement, so someday he come to me and he said, Prime Minister, I need, uh, I've organized a big meeting in mont blanc but I need uh, somebody to open the convention and some to close the convention. And, he, I, and I need your help. Oh, really? He said, I'd like to have Bill Clinton to open it and Zidio from Mexico to close it. Oh, really? I said, these guys don't go and make speeches anymore. You know, it's very complicated. But a good coincidence, uh, Clinton was coming in town to open up the, uh, the, the embassy. So I, and I said, why don't we go and play golf in the afternoon in Mont-Tremblant? But, but, but when arrived, why not take an hour to make a little speech? <laughs> and he said, yes. So I had hooked Clinton. Now I needed Zidio. So I called Ernesto and I said, uh, you know, we have a big conference and the minister was organizing it. We'd like you to, to close the conference. And would you come and make a speech? He said, John, I cannot do it. Because a president of Mexico, to get out of Mexico, need the permission of parliament. He has to have a vote, to, or there must be a procedure. He has to have the permission to quit Mexico. So he said, I cannot ask her to go and make a speech. You know, I, it's not reasonable. I said, it's too bad uh, because he had, you know, I said, uh, if you were to come, I will have, I will, I will invite you for a lunch before a speech and Diana Crowell will come. <laughs> and I, because I had been at his house, with Aline one day, and while waiting to go to the ceremony, he had the music from Diana Krall uh, in the living room. And I said, she's a Canadian, he knew, and he, was, he loved her and so on. So I said, if you come, you know, she would sing only for you. <laughs> and a few friends. So he went to Parliament and got the permission. <laughs> 
And, uh, and when he arrived at 24 Sussex, I, I put the chair next to the piano, and we were some, but a bit further. So, and Diana will ask him, Mr. President, what do we like you, me to sing now? And then we got to play that. It was a great evening, and it was a very good occasion because she came and it was the last time that his mother could get out before passing. And she came at 24 Sussex, so she had invited her mother and father to come to that reception for ZDO and the conference of Monsieur Dion. And, you know, and, and so I managed to, so I can say that heart can be useful in public life. And music permit me to have ZDO to come to Ottawa to speak uh, for Monsieur Dion. But I guess he was a bit more interested in Diana Krall. <laughs> well, she, she often helps. Um, personal connections and these personal interactions among leaders all, all, also make a difference. And one of the stories that keeps coming back and back in your book is your relationship with Jacques Chirac, which did not start well. You were... <laughs> How did you get to know Chirac? But uh, I met him once, I guess, when I was in Paris as mayor, but it was socially. And when he, be, when he became president, uh, you know, when I became prime minister, Mitterrand was the president. And in, 90, in the spring of 94, I guess, uh, Mitterrand, or I think it's 94, Chirac became the president. And uh, I met him in Paris. And, uh, but no big business. And, and when came 95, he made some statement that I didn't like very much about the situation in Quebec. And uh, so we were in, in Cotonou, in Africa, at the summit of the Francophonie. And in the speech, he had said something that uh, rubbed me in the wrong side a little bit too much. And, you know, he is a gaullist, and uh, so he, he was flirting with the separatists, and Landry was there bragging because they had come close, so he claimed. And that, uh, so at one time, we had a, I explained to Chirac, you know, what is to be French in Canada. And I said, you know, not only we, the French, we have survived very well because we are in Canada. You know, there is hundreds of thousands of Anglophones who get French immersion and become, you know, read books in French and they speak French and so on. It's one of the few places in the world where the French language is growing. And I said, more or less, at one time, to explain all that to him at length. He was sitting there and he has all his bureaucrat. I had all my bureaucrat. And at one time, I got up, stood right in front of him, like that. Chirac was there. I said, what do you really say, Mr. President? If I were to come here, si je venais à Paris et je criais, vive la Corse libre. <laughs> and he was there. Pelletier had his head in his hand. <laughs> All the bureaucrats wanted to go under the, the rug. But I had spoken my mind. And Pelletier said it the moment he started to respect you. And if you read the book, I talk about the visit of the Gaulle. I was a minister that time in 1967. And I put at the end of the book the speech 
that Chirac had three days before I left politics, and I think it was the 10th of December, 2003, you know, in Paris he received me, a great dinner. And he, uh, it was a bit too much. There's a lot of cherry on the Sunday, I guess. But uh, <laughs> coming from him, and he finished the speech, the speech with Vive le Canada. And for me, it's a very important moment from where he was and where he finished. And he talked beautifully about what is our country. An example to the world, he would say. I have almost never seen two politicians who seemed so destined to be enemies, who became such good friends uh, as you and Chirac. He had many very good trips to Canada after you straightened him out. <laughs> Oh, you know, one day, I, I had him in the north. You know, he had a very liking for the north of Canada. Uh, he was intrigued by that. And he has a museum in Paris, uh, Le Musée des Arts Premiers. And he asked me to help him because he wanted to have some heart from the, uh, the old Eskimo and Indian heart, you know, the native heart and so on. And he got him in person. He was interested in that. So we helped him. And uh, he, there was a Canadian lady in Paris and we knew and spoke some Eskimo. And he met her a few times to discuss the North. And he came to the, in the North. And he was very impressed by that. And I was telling him, you know, why I'm a Canadian is that. This, this is my country. I'm from Quebec. But all the beauty you see here is... I don't want to lose it. You remember they were making fun of me when I was telling, I don't want to lose the Rockies, you know, because I don't want. It's part of our culture and our image and the beauty of this land. And uh, he was there. So we were having a private dinner in Frobisherby, Calouet today with a nice private home. And where the four of us, uh, his wife, Aline, and Jacques and I, and suddenly, the sky start to dance. Boreal, this aurora boreal. It was, it was then. It was fantastic. So I, we went out, and I said, "This is federal responsibility. <laughs> the, the weather is federal responsibility. You know, I couldn't have organized it better than that." And after that, I took him in the fjord, this national park that I created there. And, um, and <laughs> you know, he was very, very impressed. But the funny part is there's not many tourists there in the summer. And there was a tent. So we're in a helicopter, big helicopter. So I got a tree. I said, oh, I'm going to go. We landed in front of the tent. It's not in the book. It's for the next one. <laughs> uh, and when we landed, Chirac, the president of France, and I, we went to the tent and we knocked at the door of the tent. And two ladies from Saskatchewan, who had been there to be alone, <laughs> were confronted with the president of France and prime minister of Canada. You know, it's a pretty good story to tell, I guess. Huh? I suspect that they've talked about it a little bit in Saskatchewan. 
You mentioned uh, at the Vive la Corse Libre speech, you mentioned Pelletier. This is Jean Pelletier, who yeah. was your chief of staff, yeah. had been the mayor of Quebec City at the same time that Chirac was the mayor of Paris. But you and Jean Pelletier went back a long time. I was, uh, this was news to me when I read the book. Oh, you know, we were at college. I had been kicked out of Joliette to go to Trois-Rivières, and he had been kicked out by the Jesuits in Quebec to come to Trois-Rivières too. And we end up next to each other in a dormitory. You know, there was bed. I was six feet tall and him too. So there was a section for t taller bed. So we were next to each other. So we became friends there. And at that time, and we always remained good friends. And uh, so we had a lot, of, a lot of fun. And in the book, I talk about when I met Duplessis for the first time. The premier of... Quebec in he the was 50s. a premier of Quebec. He was a, you know, very conservative premier, uh, but he, he had a great sense of humor too, and he was kind of funny. And uh, so, when I arrive, Chocan, your name, Jean Chrétien. Chrétien, oui. Chauvinian. Oui. Ton père, c'est Wally Chrétien? Oui, Monsieur Duplessis. Ton grand-père, c'est François Chrétien, maire de Saint-Étienne-des-Grès? Yes, Mr. Premier. You're a goddamn red, he said. <laughs> c'est un maudit rouge. And, and there, right after that, Pelletier was next. And Pelletier knew him. Because the Minister of Finance for Duplessis was Onizim Gagnon, who happened to be the Jean Peltier uncle, who became, after that, the Lieutenant Governor of Quebec. So Peltier said to Duplessis, Monsieur Duplessis, your college is breaking your laws. What? Yes. You're breaking your laws. How come? You know, Duplessis had passed a law in Quebec making illegal margarine, because he wanted to keep the market for the farmers producing butter. And the farmer tended to vote a lot for him. So the hell with the consumers in New York, in Montreal, you know. So he, he, had no, he was not winning in Montreal, so he had passed that law. Duplessis says it's impossible. My alma mater breaking the laws? But she said yes. And I reach in my pocket, and I had taken margarine in the morning. I put it in a, a, a papier ciré, and I put it up, wrapped it, and I gave it to Duplessis. You should have seen his face. <laughs> and he put it in his pocket, and after that, he sent that in the afternoon uh, to the Ministry of Agriculture, who confirmed that it was margarine. <laughs> so, Pelletier and I, you know, after we had done that with Duplessis, we were happy with ourselves, you know, we were having fun. And the night, that, that night, with Pelletier, we learned about it, that the, Duplessis called the superior, the, the head of the college, and I wish I had been on the wall to listen to the sermon that he served to the bishop, with the Monseigneur who was in charge, Monseigneur Wallet who was kind of a proud man, and to have a rundown like that by Duplessis must not have been a great fun for him. And in the morning after that, when we arrived in the 
refectoire for our breakfast. Betsy was sitting in front of us, and suddenly arrived a quarter of a pound of butter for the two of us, and we have not seen margarine for the rest of the, the year in the college. So all my friends were very grateful for what we've done. Um, let's fast forward a little bit uh, to your first uh, election to parliament. Um, you once told me that your political style has a lot to do with what was going on in Quebec when you first ran. It was, you were running against the creditists, you were running against a populist right-wing party, and it was not obvious that you would even win that first election. And, 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 and that drove some of your political choices, some of your stylistic choices. But it was a rural riding with, who had some very big difficulties because Chamonian was a very prosperous city before. It was the place where, in, where we had a lot of industrial industries there because we are, we were, it was the time of electrochemistry and with Shawnee Falls, it was the first big fall dam in Canada. So the industry had come to have cheap electricity because if you were in Montreal, you had to pay in those days for the transportation of electricity from the site to the city with the nationalization that disappeared. And eventually the uh, petrochemistry replaced that. So it was a city with difficulty, and it was difficult to be elected there. And Real Cahuet was from Chamonian. And he was extremely powerful, powerful and, and colorful. And, you know, he managed to take the first election in 92. In 62, rather, he, he got 26 seats in Quebec. It was a shock, you know. He is the one who defeated effectively uh, Defen Baker because he took all the Diffenbaker had had 50 seats in Quebec in 1958, and uh, the Liberal gained a lot more, and I think that we finished with very five Tories only. And that was the end of Diffenbaker because of Riyadh. But it was very colorful, and I talk about it in the book, because, uh, you know, he was, uh, he can be very funny. One day he said to me, Jean, he said, we were such Liberals in my family when I was a kid, that, you know, we, the Roman Catholic, we, in those days, in rural Quebec, or in many families will recite the rosary after dinner. The people will go in the living room and go on their knees and recite the rosary. And at my home, we were not doing that, but we were Catholic, but, uh, you know, a bit less uh, devoted than some of the neighbors. And uh, Real said we were praying. And we had a crucifix on the wall, in a portrait of Sir Wilfrid Laurier, and we never knew which one were praying. <laughs> <laughs> you had nine cabinet portfolios under Pearson and Pierre Trudeau. In the book, you write that it was Indian Affairs that was the most rewarding, but it was also one of the hardest. Uh, it, was, it was hell for, for, for part of it. Uh, I wonder, it's kind of a paradox that it was one of your most difficult files and it was one of the ones that helped you grow as a politician. Yes. You know, when Trudeau proposed to me to become Minister of Indian Affairs, I could barely speak English. You know, my English was very deficient and apparently still a bit deficient. And, <laughs> and about the people understand anyway. And so... Uh, 
I said, I've never met an Indian in my life. And he said, yeah, exactly. You know, at least with you, nobody can say you have any prejudice. You know, you're from rural Quebec. You're, on, you're coming from a large family. You're not from a rich background. And I have the f feeling that you will understand them better than anybody else. And I became Minister of Indian and Northern Affairs. And I was there for the longest serving minister. I was, I make the joke, but it's within days quite right. I was there six years, two months, three days, and four hours, and enjoyed them. But it was tough. And at one time, Trudeau, after four years, because I had to travel everywhere in Canada, the North, the Northwest Territories, Baffinland, the Yukon, the Indians all over Canada, and I had a family. So Trudeau, after four years, said, uh, Jean, you know, I think you work enough. I would like to give you a break and give you something else. So we discussed another portfolio, and he called me back. He said, would you stay in Indian Affairs? But I said, he said, uh, because I asked the Indian, I informed the Indian chiefs that you were going, and they said they prefer to keep you. So I said, okay, there I was staying. So when I met the leaders, I said, how come you want me? You always gave me hell in the press and <laughs> complaining about everything and having strikes. Oh, yes, but we prefer to deal with the devil we know than the devil we don't know. <laughs> So I remained another two years and a few months in the Department of Indian and Northern Affairs. And it was, because it is a very difficult problem. And it's evolution. And, uh, and they're trapped. You know, and I, because they know that hunting and trapping, it, there is no future into that. But they live a week keep them on reserve. At one time, I wanted to abolish them. They preferred to keep them. But it, some places, there's not much you can do in terms of economic development. And I was helping them, you know, giving them housing and education, schools and, uh, uh, you know, hospitalization services, a small one for the reserve and so on. So it was, I had to be deal with education, health, housing, economic development, cultural program. For example, I'm the one who started to teach them uh, some of the traditional uh, habit, or like hunting and fishing, some course on that. I introduced the possibility of learning some of their traditional languages, and so on. So it was the cultural element, how, how can you telling them, you know, be proud of your difference. It's not a problem in Canada. We, we celebrate differences. But be proud of that. And I was trying to help them to understand better their history and their background and so on. But join the great Canadian family too. You know, it is not incompatible. And that was like I see in Quebec. You know, I have no problem. My identity is clear. My country is Canada. My province is the province of Quebec, my language is the French language, my religion is a Roman Catholic church, and I'm not confused a minute. And everything is compatible. You cannot say, I, I am more Canadian than Quebecois, or more Catholic than French. You know, it is for me to decide, but you can have the priority you want, but you can have the four and be comfortable in a country like Canada. So it was part of my philosophy that I was applying in the field at that time. The reason that story about um, Indian affairs, we would call it indigenous affairs today, 
uh, stuck out was because um, you, you faced controversy, you introduced the white paper and then had to withdraw it. And Trudeau left you there anyway to try and toughen up and learn lessons. And sometimes I think young politicians today don't get a chance to make their own mistakes and don't, don't get a chance to learn on the job that the people who work in that building over there, the Langevin building, um, protect them too much. And, and they, they don't get a chance to grow up the way that you did in politics. But it's a different time. You know, when I was prime minister, I had a different technique uh, uh, that they have today. And uh, this, you know, uh, probably the, it's based of what happened under Harper. Everything was extremely tightly controlled. And I think that Trudeau is less controlling, but he's still apparently too. Me, I was, I had been, one a great advantage I had. I'd been minister, you know, in eight different, nine different portfolios. And I knew what it is to be a minister. And one day, Trudeau, I was minister of Indian Affairs. Trudeau called me and he said, John, you have not talked to me in a year. <laughs> oh, really? I said, why you not talking to me? Because I don't want to bother you. And as you're not bothering me, I'm quite happy. And, you know, so, you know, I'm trying to do my job. And he told me this. That was a great lesson. He said, if they were all like you, it would be so easy to be prime minister. Because, so he, I, he let me decide to, you know, he, I consulted him. He was informed on the question of, you know, the problem we were facing on the native situation is at the UN. You know, Raymond Chrétien, the ambassador, who, is, who happened to be my nephew, but he was a professional diplomat, was at the UN as a young lawyer. And when they were debating apartheid in Africa, he was told by the other, shut up, Chrétien. You know, you do the same thing in Canada with the natives. They have, you have reserve, you have an Indian Act, you have a Department of Indian Affairs. So we have no, no lesson to, you cannot teach any lesson to the others. And, and it was some ways right. But for me, now they cannot say it's an apartheid system anymore because I offered to abolish the reserve. I offered to abolish my own job. And they said, no, we want to keep the old system. So I withdrew. Oh, there, there was some guys like you who wrote by thing about it for a while, but uh, you know, you have to earn your living. And, uh, <laughs> and, because if you write a good news, it's not a news. They don't publish it. So you have to find some bad things to absolutely, put in. Absolutely. And so, uh, and so you know, I, I, I tough it out. And it's why, you know, when ministers are more freedom, they produce better. That is my experience. Anyway, according to Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> when you became prime minister, you had John Peltier as your chief of staff. You had Peter Danolo keeping the reporters in line, and you had a man in an office who was being paid a dollar a year to give you advice. This was Mitchell Sharp. Yeah. Uh, for, for younger people, people who aren't as old as you and me. Uh, remind and I'm everyone, much older than you. I, I thank you for saying that, sir. Uh, sometimes it's not obvious. Um, who was Mitchell Sharp and why, were you, why did you have him on staff? Mitchell Sharp, you know, when I was elected, I was 29. And, uh, and very rapidly, Mr. Pearson made me his parliamentary secretary. 
But one thing that, uh, and after that, when we were elected in 65, before my second election, I was already the parliamentary secretary to the prime minister, who was 31, I guess. And when we came back, he said, John, I would like you to become parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Finance. And if you work well, as I've seen you can do, he said, you might become the first French-Canadian Minister of Finance. So I went with Mitchell, who was Minister of Finance. And uh, so Mitchell, you know, his wife's health was not very good. So he will have his wife on, in the office. And at that time, Parliament was sitting at night, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday night. So we had to stay there in case we had votes. And when I was parliamentary secretary, we were minority government, so we had to hang around all the time. And so I would go in his office. His wife would be there reading, and uh, you know, and he would work in his office. And for me, my wife was in Shawinigan. again. I was my family was not with me here, so I spent my night with him, discussing the day and chit-chatting about politics, administration, and so on. So he became my mentor. And he had been the deputy minister of the most important minister under Saint Laurent, CDL. He was in trade and commerce. He organized a great Kingston meeting for Pearson in Kingston in nine before to establish the, what I call the modern liberal party under Pearson. And he was minister of commerce and minister of finance for Pearson. After that, he became minister of foreign affairs for Trudeau. So he was a man of great experience. And uh, so when I became prime minister, I was always consulting him because, uh, you know, he had, no, he had only one child who was living in the West. And, and I would visit him at his home here in Ottawa when I had problems. And I would, we would discuss problems and he would give me his advice. And after that, he would sit at the piano. He was a pianist. And he will play Chopin and Litz and uh, Mozart. And I, I was turning the pages for him. <laughs> and you know, after that, I would come back home, relax and reassured and so on. So when I became prime minister, I, I asked him to come to my office. I paid it $1 a year. Because when he came to, in Ottawa during the war, he was an economist for the the we trade in Winnipeg. I think he was working for the Richardson family. And he left his job to be a $1 man in Ottawa during the war. And it's where he started his career as a, as a bureaucrat. So I said, okay, Mitchell, come and work with me $1 a year. So I, he worked for $1 a year. And uh, after five years, I would pay him. But suddenly there was, first year I gave him a dollar. I put it in a frame, and I gave it to him. <laughs> and, uh, but for the last year, he was making jokes. He did not pay me for my last five years. But I said, Mitchell, it's not about five. It's only four and a half, jokingly. So he died. <laughs> and I went to the funeral home. And his son told me, he said, uh, his father had told him, uh, Jean not paid him the last $5. So Mitchell was there. I wrote a check <laughs> to Mitchell Sharp, $5 
last payment. And I put it in his pocket here. And his son said, can I keep it? (laughs) Of course. And he never cashed it, so it cost me nothing. (laughs) That's a story It's not in the book. My God. We got like a bonus. Um, There's so many ways I can go with that anecdote. Let's go this way. You and he were not like normal liberals in that you you didn't want to spend every dollar you could. You know, it's amazing. When the Tories are in power, we have deficit. I am fiscally responsible and socially preoccupied. You know, that is what is a real liberal. Because when I'm traveling the world, the people ask me, they say, what is a liberal in Canada? If you're in Europe, a liberal is seen as a conservative. In the United States, is a left-winger. So I have to explain what is a liberal in Canada. I would say, if the people on the right says of you, you're a left-winger, and if the people on the left says you're a right-winger, you're a good Canadian liberal Christian, you know, <laughs> right in the middle. You borrow, you know, balanced judgment, you know, moderate in everything, uh, as, uh, able to not, when you're doctrinaire, you get trapped with your doctrine. You know, and you lose flexibility. For me, sometimes you heard that in the house, people were blaming you. Chrétien, you're stealing my ideas. You know, the NDP would say that, and the Tories would say the same thing. And I would tell them, if you don't want me to steal your ideas, shut up. <laughs> you're telling me now, do it and do that, and I do it, and they say, you're stealing my ideas. So if you have a good idea and I'm there, it's better to shut up because I will take it. (laughs) During this very long career in federal politics, uh, serving under two prime ministers, opposition against uh, Mulroney for a little while, uh, and then your own decade in power, twice during that whole period, you were tempted to go to Quebec politics and become a provincial politician. The first time, it was René Lévesque who invited you to come. Yes. I, I actually didn't know that story. I read that in the book. What, uh, tell me about that one. And then, to me, the, almost the more interesting story of uh, after Bourassa. But what happened is that uh, in 1963, I got elected. Le Sage, it was, you know, was uh, seen as a very progressive government that, government that he had in Quebec and so on. And in my provincial writing, we had the Minister of Justice, uh, René Amel, who for some reason, decided to quit politics, and then we had a by-election. And in the St. Maurice Valley, it was the kingdom of Duplessis. There was only one writing that was always liberal. It was my writing, despite of Duplessis. So the liberals in Quebec said, we, need, we want to try to gain seats in St. Maurice Valley. And uh, they were told that I was the best to do that, and René Lévesque had been charged to run the by-election. So he called me and asked me uh, to visit him in Quebec, and I met him, and I met with Le Sage and so on, and, uh, and I decided not to go. But I talk about it in, in the book. That's the first time I refused, you know, and I, I wrote in the book that at one time in the discussion I had with René Lévesque, he said to me, uh, Jean, you, I said, you know, I was bargaining, I'm not stupid, I said, uh, 
Yeah, but I have a good job in Ottawa, and I'm doing well. I'm already the president of a committee. It was in 1965, uh, 64, I guess, December 64. And that, uh, so I have a future there. And Levesque said to me, Jean, you have no future in Ottawa. In five years, Ottawa will not exist for us anymore. I said, what? He was admitting to me that he was a separatist. And I said, I'm no separatist. No, I don't want to hear anything about it. Oh, he said, forget about it and join us anyway. But I, did, I remembered. And that is uh, later on, when Bourassa and René Lévesque won, 1976. 1976. Uh, you know, there was pressure on me to go Quebec, including, uh, and I, you know, and I decided not to go again. Were you tempted? It, it seems it hard. Was. It's hard to believe now, after the repatriation of the Constitution, after the 1980 referendum, Quebec Liberals and Federal Liberals went in very different directions when Claude Ryan became the leader of the party in Quebec. And it seems hard to believe that Jean Chrétien could have been the leader of the Provincial Liberals. It, it doesn't well, I don't know. I would have run. And, you know, I didn't run, so I don't know. I was not really interested the second time. But there was a lot of people who were asking me, including Mr. Trudeau himself, to consider that. But it was not, I was, and I became the Minister of Finance. And so, I, you know, I, I, was not, I was Minister of Finance of Canada. What to become the leader of the opposition in Quebec? It was not a good deal. <laughs> but if it had been the necessary thing to do for the country, I would have done it. Okay. When you became Prime Minister, what were your priorities in terms of the style of government, the way you wanted to run a cabinet meeting, the way you wanted to uh, advance the agenda of the government? You'd seen other guys do it on your team, on the other team. You'd been waiting for a long time. You would have liked to have been prime minister earlier. Uh, what was your attitude as you become prime minister? But I knew, you know, one of the things that uh, is I had experience. And I had seen the difficulties of the Moroni government, who came to politics with absolutely no experience. He had been elected in a by-election a few months before he became prime minister. In the last campaign, when people were telling that Trudeau had no experience, I will tell them that story, that you know, uh, Moroni had never been elected in a general election before he became prime minister. Came Campbell once, Joe Clark one time. Harper one time, even Pierre Trudeau one time, at least Justin has been elected twice. Only me, I had to wait nine elections before I became prime minister. <laughs> but during that, that period of time, I learned a lot. So I knew what I had to do to run the, the ministry. And I, I had, uh, apparently, uh, a lot of people in Ottawa liked the years when I was, when you talk to the bureaucracy in Ottawa, they think that the period I was there. Because the bureaucrats are not the enemy of the political people. They are there to serve. And you have to trust them. And if you trust them, they will trust you. I learned that from Mitchell Sharp. You know, people say, bureaucrats go, they vote. They vote the way they want. But when they are at their job, they try to do the best job they can. You know, they're not there. How can I do something to cause a problem to the government? You know, they go, they, and they want promotion, so they do bad job. They will not move. I understood that because of my experience. So, uh, 
you know, and I would tell a deputy minister when I would come minister, I said, you know, if you do well, I will do well. If I do well, you will do well. You're my partner. That was my philosophy. But remember when Joe Clark became prime minister and Maroney became prime minister, they had to kick out some so-called liberals. <laughs> One was Bill Hood, who was my deputy minister in finance. And he was, uh, you know, he was uh, replaced. And because he wanted to kick out the liberals, make some non-liberals. But I knew something that I didn't write about it. Bill Hood was my deputy. And one time, the campaign that Joe won, you know, I was a liberal. And I thought Joe, you know, was not to defeat Trudeau, you know. And he was known as Joe. And he's a good friend of mine, Joe. He wrote the preface of my book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, Joe, uh, so I, uh, there was a debate. And I was Minister of Finance at STOP in Ottawa to sign some documents. Uh, and Bellwood was there. So we chat about the debate. And I said, oh, Trudeau did very well. Bellwood said to me, no, Joe Clark did very well. I said, you must be a Tory to tell that to me. Never ask any deputy for whom they had voted. He told me, oh, he said, I'm a Tory. I always voted Tory. <laughs> and they kick him out. <laughs> and uh, he never voted Tory anymore after that. But, uh, <laughs> okay, so you left office in 2003. You've had a good 15 years out. Um, so I appoint you Prime Minister of Canada. What are your priorities, Mr. New Prime Minister Kretzian? What, what are the challenges that Canada faces in the world? What are the opportunities that need to be chased? You know, you guys, you always wrote about me. I had no vision. Uh, you must have wrote in that many times. Probably. <laughs> Slow news day. So my goal was to make Canada the best country in the world, and I had no vision. Imagine if I had a vision. So you're there to make the country the best you can, and you face each challenge. You know, there's not one problem. It's plenty of problems. Every day you have different problems, and you have to make the right decision. But in life, you always have to make a right decision. You get in your car, you're on a road. If you turn left, you hit a truck. So it's better not to turn left. You have to stay straight or turn right. So, you know, every decision has to be the best you can. So that was my approach. I wanted Canada to be the best. So each problem, you know, I will handle that. You know, as I told you, uh, for me, you know, some people on social programs, I was considered as a left-winger. And uh, when I balanced the book, the first money I gave was money for the art you know, in the budget of Sheila Cobbs. You people were all surprised. Because, you know, the artists tend not to vote for the Liberal Party in Quebec. They're all separatists, apparently, or not all of them. Big deal of them. And in Ontario, many vote NDP, apparently. 
But I was not doing that for vote. I was doing that because it was the right thing to do. And if you approach a problem in doing the right decision for the right reason, the people will recognize that. So when you come out, what is your vision? Probably the, you read it in the book. The one guy gave me the best advice on politics. He's a blue collar, the head of the unions, who had been the CCF candidate in my writing, who joined me when I became a, a candidate. We said, John, trust the judgment of the people. They're no fool. And they, they read through you. And somebody told me one day, one experience, and I've done it in one or two cases. If you want to know what the guy is telling you, if what he thinks, you know what you do? Close the song and read the body language. And you could discover that the guy is faking. And, and it, it's not necessarily faking, too. Is uh, They have too many advisors who prepare speeches and lines and so on. You know what? Today, I was, not, I was not briefed by a lot of people before the meeting, you know? You just get me to put some pottery and I came here. So, you know, it is... Uh, you have to trust the judgment of people. Do your best. And I had the privilege of having a lot of experience. I've seen a lot of problems. And it is, it's never ending. I say that. To fill a hole in politics, you dig two more. So you're having the shovel all the time, seven days a week, and uh, you know, 24 hours a day, and year round. But it's challenging and very satisfying. You know, to be elected, for me, I was elected 12 times as MP and won three majority government. Not too bad. And, uh, when Stephen Harper was the prime minister, he used to call you. Not very often. But uh, I'm told that the, uh, you know, he was a conservative. And many of his approach I didn't like. But I told him one day, he was doing what he believed, even if I disagree with him. And I was always doing what I believe I had to do. But I'm not a conservative. But I read his book that he just wrote. And he gave a recipe. You read it for fun. The recipe is try to become a liberal, and you will be in government in the right time, because he tell advice to the left-wingers, to the right-wingers, don't go too far here. And to the, you know, I enjoy it very much. And he managed to say that all that and without mentioning my name once. <laughs> he gave you an assignment. He asked you to do a favor working with the Queen on a special project. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it was the Jubilee of the Queen, 60th anniversary. And at the Commonwealth in Australia, they decided to do something to honor the Queen. And... Uh, so they created a committee. And the committee was presided by John Major that I had known as prime minister. So Harper said, you're the only one who has been named the order of merit of the majesty, the queen. So why don't you join that group? And I did. 
And to make a long story, it was complicated and so on. But eventually, we had our own celebration in Canada, and that became the, the Jubilee Scholarship Program. You know, I had to ask the province. I did that. I asked the federal government, the province, the private sector. And now it is a program of $85 million. The university had contributed, you know, to give... Uh, bursary to citizens from the Commonwealth to come to Canada and Canadian to go to university here and elsewhere. And uh, it was a lot of work, but I'm very happy with that. And it is now part of the, uh, it's run by Rideau Hall now, you know, the former Governor General Johnson uh, was involved with me on that. And now he's still very much implicated in, in the delivery of the program. A long time ago, one of your colleagues, Jean Marchand, said that um, the best thing about Ottawa is the train to Montreal. Yeah. This spring, you're going to move to Montreal after 50 years in Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sad. Tell me about that. Because I'm here since 1967, and I love it. Why I'm moving, my family is all in Montreal, and I'm not a kid anymore, and, uh, my f and I have brothers and sis one sister and I have a lot of nephew and niece and I have four, four or five grandchildren living there and I have six and a half great grandchildren and uh, so you know they say grandpapa and grandmama we would prefer you to be closer to us I never live in Montreal and I have a place that I always kept that I love on Lac des Piles in Chamonigan and you know, I spent many, many weeks, and I was from Montreal. I would be able to go f further, f more often there. Uh, but I'm still working. I don't know when I will stop working. And uh, because I love to work, and, and Denton, it is the biggest law firm in the world. Is, I'm working for them, and the, they're still paying me, so I have to go to work. <laughs> when they will stop paying, I will stop going. Um, what sort of work is it? Well, I gave advice uh, on all sort of problems. Sometimes, uh, you know, I have good connections in some countries. Uh, I do quite a lot of work in China. Uh, because you remember I had developed Team Canada when I was Prime Minister, and I had two Team Canada to China, and I had Seoul can do reactor to China when I was there, and it was a very successful program, the Team Canada that had been abandoned after I left. I don't know why. Apparently it's because it was my idea, so they dropped it. And that is, uh, so I do that. I have files in Vietnam. I don't do much with the government, any government in Canada. I don't want to. Uh, I don't need it, and you know, I don't want to. I don't want my name in the press anymore. I don't need that. I'm, I'm working because I love working. I'm not uh, greedy. I don't want to be the, the richest man in the cemetery. What do you miss most about politics? Question period. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a good question period tonight. Can we talk about why you're sitting on that side and I'm sitting on this side? It's because of your ear. You don't hear as well on the other ear. No. I remember once you told me that that played an important role in the question period. No, question period, the speaker is there. Your prime minister or minister on this side. The opposition is on the other side. And when it gets very stormy, they shout at you. Sometimes it's not always pleasant. 
But according to the tradition, you're supposed to talk to the speaker. Mr. Speaker, the member of parliament from uh, Wisconsin, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, is, uh, you know, is wrong. You're not talking to the member. You're talking through the speaker. So I was always talking through the speaker. But when they were shouting insult, I didn't hear them. So I was very cool. <laughs> and, you know, I never got mad. I would hit back. And I think that question period, you know, when I started, it was better than today. Why? Because there was no camera. Now people come with little notes, you know, prepared by somebody. They read it. They don't realize it's very dull. And, uh, you know, because it's not everybody who has a, have a degree in political science from uh, Oxford, you know. Uh, so you're talking to the people. So in the old days, there was no camera. Nobody had the right to read a speech. You had to get up and speak. You know, you had to debate. The Minister of Finance and Speech of the Throne, the, the, the long speech written was virtually not done. And the, the better members were those who could get up on their feet and speak. And I was uh, doing a lot of it when I had the chance. And we had a speaker at that time, was McNaughton, who had been a backbencher on the time of Saint Laurent from Montreal. He was a great gentleman. But probably he was frustrated because he didn't ask any question, enough questions. So for him, every member of parliament at that time was all equal. Whatever the liberal, conservative government, he would give the floor according to his own rules. So he would give me the floor often. Because, you know, probably he thought it was, and uh, my neighbor was Auguste Chaquette, who was very colorful. So the two of us, we were both young, and we had a lot of time in the house. So I learned to be comfortable in the house. So for me, question period was not a, a problem. Apparently, some of my predecessor and successor didn't like it. For me, going to the question period, it was not fun, but a good challenge. And when it was over, you know, you tend to ask your staff, was it all right? You know, the, for me, I didn't have to do that. Okay. Because we are out of time. I would just do that. If it was dry, I'd done well. <laughs> if it was wet, I had failed. I survived tonight. Very good. I want to thank you for the, taking the hour to talk to us tonight and for all of your service to the country, sir. And I want to thank our crowd for joining us. Um, and of course, our partners at the NAC and at CPAC, our sponsors of the Canadian Bankers Association. We've got a reception at the other end of the hall. I hope you'll join us. And for now, thanks very much and good night.